Good morning, everyone. We are going to be doing a little mini-series here going through the book of Titus. So if you want to take your Bibles and open up to the book of Titus, we're going to be going through Titus chapter 1 today. Uh, I have to apologize to you. In your bulletins, it says Titus chapter 1 and Titus chapter 2. I got very ambitious this week, and uh, we're actually only get, going to get through Titus chapter 1. So you can go ahead and cross that out on there. So turn with me to Titus, and when you're there, if you can say amen. All right, Titus chapter 1. So uh, the name Titus, it means honorable. Uh, Titus was an honorable young man, so a little bit of background on him. He was a spiritual son of Paul the Apostle. Paul and Timothy and Titus were kind of like a group of missionaries that just did ministry all over the world at that time. Uh, Timothy was left at Ephesus. Titus was tasked to go to the island of Crete. Now, um, a little bit about the island of Crete um, is that it's, it's in the Mediterranean Sea, it's kind of isolated, and it had a reputation, and we'll touch on that in just a bit. But why did Paul send Titus to Crete? Well, uh, the answer is in verse 5. Look at this. It says, For this reason I sent you to Crete, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that were lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So Titus was tasked with two things. Number one, he was tasked to set things in order. And number two, he was tasked to appoint elders at the church. Um, so uh, Crete is right there and uh, the bottom, what is it, your right side, right there, right in the Mediterranean. It's the second largest island there, right behind Cyprus. Um, a beautiful place. This is uh, what modern day Crete looks like right now. So it's absolutely gorgeous. So one day, if the Lord wants, I'll go there. Um, I'll visit Greece as well and Italy and just take that whole, you know, be beautiful. But um, Crete is, is there, and so uh, during this time, um, it, was, uh, it would have been a, a good place for a trader to stop right before you go to Rome. Um, you can see it was kind of there in the center. Now, has anyone ever seen the movie Moana? I know you're like, wait, where is he going with this? Well, he was just talking about Crete, and now it's Moana. Okay, so uh, back in the day, uh, the people of Crete, they were actually called um, the Minoans. They would have been like the masters of the sea. Okay, that's the connection with Moana. There, there you go. Um, so uh, Crete is a little bit bigger than the size of Whatcom County. So it's a pretty big island. Of course, not all of it's inhabitable, but um, it was an awesome place. It's not recorded whether Paul started this church or whether it was the new believers from Pentecost that went there. Um, but there was a church that was established in Crete. And we only see the only written time was on the fourth journey of Paul when he was on his way to Rome. Um, he had a stop there in Crete. So um, Crete was not a place where you'd be like, hey, let's move to Crete because I would love to raise my family there. Um, some people say that about, you know, Linden or Ferndale or, you know, Nooksack or wherever in Whatcom County. Um, good place to raise a family. And uh, you would not say that about Crete. Crete had a reputation, and it had a reputation for having a bad reputation. Um, one of their own philosophers and poets called uh, Crete's liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Paul quotes that. That's like, man, I would not like for that. Oh, you know those people from Linden? They're liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons, like that's like, ooh, it's kind of like, a, but they enjoyed that kind of reputation. That was the reputation that was there. So that's the background. And in the middle of all that, God's people were established in Crete. So there was a remnant of his people there, and Titus was sent there uh, in order to 
uh, set things right and to appoint elders in the church. So that's the overarching mission. And so the goal with, um, with this letter is that, and the overarching message for you and me in the book of Titus is that we, as God's people, need to continue to live as he's called us to live. Because it's through our lives and through our testimony that the world will see Jesus. So, we're going to jump in. And uh, before we do that, um, let's go ahead and pray. God, I'm just so excited to go through uh, this book of Titus, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Titus, this young pastor, this young um, minister of the gospel, Lord, that we can, uh, we can just look back on. And, and um, Lord, as we just go through chapter 1, pray that you would help us to see, Lord, just um, uh, Lord, what you want us to see, to hear your words this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Crete, again, it's a, it's a culture, it's a place where it's not ideal, and yet there's God's people were put here for a reason. Let's look at verses 1 to 2. It says here, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Now, it's interesting that one of the characteristics of God is that he actually cannot lie. There are some things that God cannot do, one of which is God cannot lie. It's beyond his character. It's, uh, it's, um, he, he just can't do it. Cretans, though, they are what? What was the first thing? Cretans are liars, right? Okay, so you see that contrast there immediately between the culture that Titus was called to minister in and the character of God. And then there's this other thing, I, just, just a beautiful nugget of truth Promised before time began. Four little words. Um, and those are words of comfort. Because Titus was, again, he's in a place in a culture which is not ideal. It's not perfect. Um, and he was called to minister there, to set things right, to find leadership and raise them up as elders. That's a hard task. So maybe you're sitting here today and you feel that you're in a place, whether it's a workplace, a, a town, or whatever it is, where you think, man, this is not ideal, or the world itself is not ideal, well, I want to remind you that God promised before time began. Um, he knows. The scripture is clear that all things were created for God and through him, and uh, Colossians 1.17 says, and he's before all things, and in him all things consist. So it is a comfort and a reminder that regardless of the situations and things that go on in our lives, personally, in the world, God is still in control. He's still on the throne. And that's only the first two verses. It gets much better after this, okay? So, God promised before time began, verses 3 and 4. But in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandments of God, the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith. Pause right there. There was a, there was a, a like a father-son relationship between Paul and and Titus, and Paul, and Timothy, and these were young pastors who were called to do ministry in this area. Um, and and uh, one of the cool things that you'll see throughout this letter is there's not a whole lot of, let me correct your doctrine, or let me, uh, let me um, teach you different th- new theology, because Titus kind of knew all this. He was established, and there was a, a good relationship between them. Titus, a true sin on our common faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So 
So Paul then goes on in verse 5, and he says, okay, well, why is Titus here in Crete? Look at this. For this reason, I left you that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So that's the whole reason why he's there. Now, in the next section, we're going to look at qualifications for elders. Now, before I go into that and you're like, check out because you're like, well, I'm not an elder, nor am I ever going to be an elder. Um, hold on for a sec. Um, let me say to you something that you already know, but that I really want to reiterate. God has standards of living for each and every one of us as believers. We have been called to be set apart, to be different, to be a holy nation. And while these qualifications are for elders, I want to challenge you that these are expectations that God has for each and every one of us. And God values quality leaders being put into place. That's why he wrote all these qualifications here. In fact, I love what Paul says here. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Not because Paul is perfect, but rather because Christ is perfect and is perfecting himself in Paul. One of the greatest gifts that God has given me over the last uh, few years of being in ministry here is to be around godly uh, men and women who, man, just love Jesus. Aren't perfect, but they love Jesus. And I have learned so much from them. And so that's what Paul is saying here, um, that we are to imitate um, these godly men and women that he places in position. Now, specifically for elders, the men that are placed in those positions, um, these are going to be the requirements. So at Faith Community Church, the pastors, the elders, the deacons that are appointed here aren't appointed because of their, uh, their high intelligence, although they are. I'm not saying that. Don't take that out of context. Or because of their education, um, the degrees that they may have, or because of their natural giftings, but rather because of the godly characteristics that have been formed in them over years of following Christ. And those are the kind of people that you want in leadership. For those of you who are sitting here and you're uh, an elder, a deacon, um, I want to remind you this as we start to read these lists. The list is like, number one is you have to be blameless. And you're like, whoo, that's like, okay, done. That's like, I don't know. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 6. I love this verse. It says, So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. It is by God's grace and through his mercy that I can stand here and uh, preach the, uh, God's word to you all. I used to work before here. I was a customer service representative at uh, it's, uh, Faith Life now, but it's, it was Logos Bible Software, and so I would take calls all the time about, you know, my program's not working, and I would deal with people um, who are, uh, some were pastors, some were new seminary grads, some were just, you know, I mean, most, I would assume that everyone who buys from Logos Bible Software is probably a Christian. But you would be surprised at some of the interactions that I had with some of these people. And I would be like, this is a, a seminary student? This is a pastor? And like in my head as they, you know, would, would maybe get upset and chew me out over like, my program isn't opening and this is all your fault. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, sir. Let me see what I can do for you. Um, but it, so some of these, uh, the way that they would react is like, wow. Where am I going with this? There are some people who, who 
will to be in ministry, but aren't called to be in ministry. There are some people who run because they want to do, uh, want to be in pastoral ministry or something, but they don't have the anointing or the calling of the Lord. And then there's some people who don't look for it, who by God's grace and through his mercy are called into that. And uh, those of you in leadership, that's probably you. Certainly God has shown a lot of mercy and a lot of grace to bring me personally here uh, because I, I, uh, I was resonating with the first song we sang. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. And I don't say that with pride. I say that with a lot of uh, you know, shame. But I praise God that through his sanctification work in me and in the lives of you, that he makes us to be more like him. So, remember this, that God, he, uh, he called um, Paul into ministry. Paul was formerly, what was his name? Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who, the one who persecuted Christians, the one who stood there as Stephen was murdered. Timothy was asked to, uh, I mean, not Timothy, Titus was asked to raise up leaders in Crete. Now, Crete was not the best place. Um, but he did this so that God would be glorified in the lives of people living for him. So, two more things, and then we're going to jump back into the text. Say, number, uh, verse 5 um, says, For this reason I, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order. Those three words there, that's actually one Greek word. I'm just going to teach you one today, and I want you to say it with me. It's epidiortho. Okay, ready? Epidiortho. Perfect. Wonderful. Okay, that last part there. Epidiortho, ortho, that word is, um, sounds a lot like orthopedic surgeons, right? Or orthodontists. And thank you, Jesus, for orthodontists. My, you know, you wouldn't have wanted to see that back in the day. But ortho is to set right, to correct, and to put in order. Titus was put there to set things right and put them, put them the way that they should in order that the church would thrive. There needed to be a sound and good leadership system in place. Now, I'm going to nerd out with you for a sec, so just you know, bear with me, okay? Um, in verse 5, it talks, uh, there's a word that says elder. In verse 7, there's a word that says bishop. And you might be thinking, wait, I know we have elders, but where are the, where are the bishops? So, you know, when you think of bishop, you might think of like the hat and you know, the, the, the thing. Um, so these are synonyms for one another, and let's look at them here real quick. In verse 5, and I'm throwing in pastor there as well. It's not listed here, but you know, we also have pastors. So Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 5 talks about elders, and uh, one refers to the office, one refers to the person, and one refers to the gifting. So elder is referring to the person. In, in this time, elder was referred to like as an older person, but came to be known as uh, the person in that position, the elected or appointed office within the church. Bishop was referring to the office or function. They were seen as the guardians, as the overseers of the church. Pastor is referring to the gifting that God gives people, a pastor's heart. And that is uh, just the, uh, to responsible for feeding, leading, and taking care of God's sheep. Um, we see the, uh, the word there um, for elder is presbyteros, and you get the word presbyterian 
from there. Um, they're an elder-led. Uh, I know you guys are super excited about this. I can see it on your face. Uh, and then the next one, you get Episcopos, which is where you get Episcopalian, and that's why they're kind of into the bishops. And then the next one, you get uh, uh, Pumin, which is where you get um, poutine, the delicious food up north. And I'm joking. Please don't write that in your margins. I just want to make sure you're still with me after that riveting uh, explanation of the difference between elders, bishops, and pastors. But it's really cool. Okay, so, you know, I think so anyway. So, all right, now we're going to jump back into the text. And we have 16 requirements for elders. Um, and let's just, I just want to read through them here. Number one is to be blameless. Number two is to be the husband of one wife. Uh, number three is uh, to be faithful, have faithful children. Number four is a steward of God. Number five is not to be self-willed. Six is not quick-tempered. Seven is not given to wine. Eight is not to be violent. We'll still have another slide, okay? Nine is not greedy for money. Ten is hospitable. Eleven is a lover of what is good. Twelve is to be sober-minded. Thirteen is to be just. Fourteen is to be holy. Fifteen is to be self-controlled. And sixteen is holding fast to the faithful word. So let's jump in to verse six, and we'll break these down. Verse 6, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of disposition or insubordination. So the first word there, we see blameless. Now, in some of your translation, it might say above reproach, um, and that's what it is. It is to be beyond any kind of legitimate accusation. That is to say, if one of you were to uh, tell you know, Susie Q, oh my gosh, did you see Danny? He was at the pub and he was just blasted, that you could be like, Really? That doesn't sound like Danny, uh, and it's to be above reproach, so any kind of accusation that is made is, is probably not true. The second one is the husband of one wife. Now, that doesn't mean that single men cannot be put in the positions of elders, but rather that it is speaking of an internal and external purity for those of us who are married and even not married, that internal and external purity um, and faithfulness towards our spouse. Number three is to have faithful children. Uh, it's having children who are in your house, who uh, they know Jesus, they follow him. Um, the idea there is how can we as elders lead our people if our own children are not following the Lord? Now, Paul does clarify this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. It says, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. So this, again, is speaking to the children that are within our own households. Now, I do want to camp on this for a sec. Because I am in youth ministry, and uh, because I do work with students, I have had the, the, the privilege of seeing um, some, of, some of the kids that have gone through this program, and it's all thanks to God. Uh, it's, they're on fire for Jesus, and they're serving him, and they're loving him, and, and praise God for that. I've also had the misfortune of seeing some kids who have had godly parents, who have heard the right things ever since they were um, babies, and have gone through, and they have just walked away from the faith. Um, and, you know, we're all familiar with the Proverbs, a proverb that says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Um, I just had a conversation, actually, right before starting here, about someone's, um, someone's uh, 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 granddaughter, and uh, how they're choosing to live a, a way that is not honoring to Christ. And, and what happened? Um, for those of you who are sitting here in today and whether you're, you're, you see your young kids and you're like, I'm concerned for them because you see like, oh, maybe they're, I don't know if they're going to, if they're going to follow the right path. Or maybe you're in it right now and your teenage son or daughter and you're like, Lord, give me patience. Um, or you got older kids and they're like, you know what, they're 18, they're out of the house 
and they're just living their own life. They don't want anything to do with church. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Maybe it's been 20 years since they've stepped foot in a church, and they want nothing to do with God. Um, this is a, a description verse, not necessarily a prescription. It's not if you, then they will immediately follow Christ. Um, of course, we want to teach them the way that they should go. As God's people, we, it's, it's, it's necessary. However, there comes a point when they choose. They have to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord or we will not. Um, so what I want to tell you, as parents, as grandparents, uncles, aunts, uh, pray. Pray for them. There was a time in my life when, when I left home and uh, I was just doing dumb stuff. And I remember a phone call I had with my mom. I'm like, Mom, I love my friends more than you. I don't want to hear about this. Um, and you know what my mom did? She just prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And, uh, and whether it takes one year, five years, ten years, a decade or longer, man, just keep praying for your kids. Keep praying for your grandkids because our, so, um, our God is so big and the gospel is, is powerful enough to penetrate hard hearts. Take a step back. Remember, we're in, we're in Titus. Titus is in Crete. Crete is not an easy place to minister to. People with hard hearts. And yet, there is a thriving church there. So the gospel is powerful enough to penetrate hearts. So keep praying. Keep praying. Keep trusting God. Um, going back to uh, the qualifications here, let's look at verse 7. Um, verse 7 starts, for a bishop. Okay, there's that term again, bishop. Is bishop referring to the person? Is it referring to the office or the gifting? It is the office. Excellent. Three of you are paying attention. I'm so excited to hear that. Um, all right, bishop is referring to the office. So, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. So let's look at the first one, a steward of God. That's to be a steward literally means to manage um, things well. So you manage what God has given you well, whether that is your family, your resources, your time, your money. It's managed well because ultimately it's all, it's all his. We're just borrowing everything we have. Um, not self-willed. Um, the Greek there literally means not to be stubborn or arrogant. I got to tell you, working with the men that we do, I thank God that we don't have stubborn and arrogant men on our board. Um, I'm so serious. We went through a hard time during COVID, and some of the decisions that we had to make were like, I can't tell you how great it was for us not to have stubborn and arrogant men who were there and said, no, this is the way we're going to do it, and that's that to be stubborn and arrogant like that. And look at the one after that. Not quick-tempered. It means that you just literally surrender yourself to anger very easily. It doesn't say that you don't get angry, but rather that it's, it's just this like, oof, you're ready to, to give in. Um, praise, I praise God for that, because man, we, we certainly learned a lot. I certainly learned a lot during that. Not given to wine. That's to be a heavy drinker, to be addicted to alcohol. Violent. You're looking for fights. You're uh, even to be a, a bully. Not greedy for money is um, gaining money through dishonest means or that that is the end to everything and everything within the world is, is financial gain. Okay, verses 8 and 9. But hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word which he has been taught, 
that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both exhort and convict those who contradict. Let's look at verse 8. To be hospitable. What that literally means is to love strangers. If you're here as an elder, actually, if you're here at all, we should love strangers. Man, if we got faces you don't recognize through that door, you guys, you know how awesome it is to be new in a church and walk up and someone's like, hey, I don't know your name, but... Uh, you know, who are you? I'm so glad you're here. You know, where are you from? Tell me your story. You know, maybe, you know, maybe not telling me your story, right? But get to know them a little bit more. But, but it's so good to be welcomed. And if we think, oh, someone's doing that, that's why we have greeters. Uh, no, that's why we have you. You all are the hands and the feet of the church. Um, and so it's so good to, uh, you know, to be hospitable, love strangers. To be lovers of what is good, that's exactly what it says, to love what is good. Sober-minded is to be wise, to be sensible. Just is to be fair and right. Holy is the overarching message in Titus, that we are to be set apart. Guys, we're to be different from the world. Why? Because our lives are are, um, effective modes of evangelism out in the world. In your workplace, at the supermarket, when you're getting your hair done, you know, whatever it is, uh, the way that you live and act and speak um, is the first thing that people will see. And that is what the church in Crete was called to do, to be different than the culture of Crete. Number 15 is to be self-controlled. And lastly was to hold fast to the faithful word, to uh, trust God's word to know it, to be able to um, teach it, and to be able to refute any kind of false doctrine or teachings that are coming into the church. Um, I think it's pretty clear from reading these verses, God cares about the structure of our leadership. He cares about uh, the people that we appoint in these positions, about the men that we put in eldership. Um, it's very important for um, the health of our church and it doesn't mean that in each and every one of these areas that we are perfect. Just spend a time with me, and I say this humbly, spend a, spend a week with me, and you'll see, wow, you know, Danny was not, I don't know, something on there. You'll see you know, some of my shortcomings, but it's something that we daily strive for, and we find our strength in Christ alone. Um, it's what we should also expect from our leaders here. So again, you have to remember all these qualifications. Look at these again, and we're not going to go through them, but these are all the qualifications that you have for elders. And, uh, and the culture that Titus was at um, was that of Crete, and it's, it's their call to be different. Um, the whole reason behind this is so that the people in Crete could see that there was something different about the church. There was something different about its leaders. Um, I love how MacArthur, he puts it, this way, he says, in order to gain a hearing of the gospel among such people, the people of Crete, believers' primary preparation for evangelism was to live among themselves with the unarguable testimony of righteousness, loving, selflessness, and godly lives. Guys, the most effective tool for evangelism that we have outside of preaching the gospel and speaking the gospel to uh, those who are lost is the way that you live and the way that you speak to people in the world. Um, so it was hard to minister, but Titus was called to, number one, to epidiortho, to set things straight, put things in order. 
and to appoint elders. Um, it certainly would have been hard to minister there, but God was using people in Crete to demonstrate the goodness of God um, through the lives of these people. Um, now, next week, we have the uh, privilege of, um, there's three students who are going to be baptized, so I certainly want you all to be here and encourage that for them, but it's just such a cool thing that um, we've got um, three young men and then um, one, uh, one girl who's going to be baptized the week after because she couldn't next week. But to see that they're following Christ and this ordinance that he left us and wanting to publicly declare they are sold out for Jesus, that they're going to be following him. Um, so please make sure to come for that. But... The gospel was powerful enough to penetrate their hearts, to penetrate all of our hearts, and to penetrate the hearts of the people here in Crete. So let's keep moving on. And at the end of verse 9, we see that they were called to hold fast to the word. Why? So that they can both exhort and convict those who contradict. And then we keep reading in verse 10. It says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole household teachings which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. What's going on here? Uh, There was a group and a remnant that was in this place that were teaching that salvation was not through grace, not through faith, and not in Jesus Christ alone, but rather that you had to follow all the Mosaic laws. Specifically, circumcision was one of them. Um, They're called the Judaizers, and they wanted to bound all Christians by the law. Titus is really cool, because um, Titus was actually a Gentile. He was a Greek, and so uh, he, was, uh, he was a perfect example of a born-again believer who didn't have to follow all these laws and traditions um, that uh, some of the Pharisees and Sadducees had set up, and even the Mosaic Law itself. Um, look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul writes here, he says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He was a Gentile believer in charge of overseeing the church in Crete. And Crete is bigger than Whatcom County. And uh, here's a a person, a man, who was a born-again believer, and he didn't follow the Mosaic Law. Uh, Growing up, uh, I've, you know, my parents were new in their faith, and so we would jump to all these different churches. And I can remember uh, some of the churches that we went to, it's like you had to wear this, and you had to do this, and you couldn't do this, and you could only worship on this day, and you could only eat these certain foods. And it was, um, maybe some of you have come out from some of those things. Um, legalism is, is very easy to uh, sneak into the lives of believers. Because uh, it's kind of, it's hard at times, but it's kind of an easy thing to do. It's just a Checked off my box, checked off my box, came to church on Sunday, didn't mow the lawn Sunday, uh, you know, all these things. Um, it's really easy to, to just uh, get into the rhythm of that, but elders were tasked to um, preach against these kind of legalistic things and teachings that came to the church. Verses 12 to 14 says, One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always lazy, sorry, said of their own, says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commands of men who turn from the truth. This was a task of the elders, and still is, not only to be able to teach sound doctrine, to know what they believe, 
and to teach everyone why they believe what they believe, but also to be able to refute false teachings that come into um, our, our church, whether it is internally or externally. I don't need to tell you guys of all the... How do I say this? Of all the nonsense that is around these days, whether it is uh, in the workplace, whether it is in schools, or whether it is on wherever it is. Um, but we hold fast to Scripture, to what God has left us. Not only that, but we hold fast to the, the, the unchanging truth that we are saved by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ alone. And that will never change. Now, verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Now, this is a verse that you can easily like, pull out from context and just make it mean a whole bunch of things that it really doesn't say. Um, but as good students of Scripture, we read it within the context. And what is it talking about here? It's talking about legalism. It's talking about refuting uh, false doctrine. Now, to the uh, pure, all things are pure. Now, there are some things... Um, some legalistic things that we could do that are actually probably good for us. Like one of them would be certain dietary restrictions. There are certain things we probably shouldn't eat because number one, it'll just upset your tummy. And number two, it's just good to take care of ourselves. Number two is there's uh, having a mandated day of rest. I think it's probably good for you guys to take a break. Some of you work far too much and don't rest nearly enough. Someone's like, hey man, yeah. Um, Sometimes, uh, some of you maybe would benefit from a required day of, of resting. Another one I think is great is um, feasts and celebrations that we see in uh, the Old Testament. I think it's good to remember the history, to remember where we came from, to remember oh, what is Pentecost? You know, what is the Passover? Um, it's good to do these things, but here's the, here's the kicker. To do those things in and of themselves, apart from a saving faith in Jesus Christ, is, is meaningless. It doesn't save anything. But for those of you who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, have the Holy Spirit in you, and he is our guide. He is our comforter. And so whether we do those things or not, it does not dictate our salvation. And last verse, and we'll close off with this. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified from every good work. And this is a tough verse. Uh, it's, really, it's really easy to, uh, whether it is on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or any other day of the week, to make the outward look like we're doing all right. To be like, our family's got it together. My kids have got it together. Um, but then in the way that we speak, whether it is, through gossip, or slander, or fits of anger, uh, to uh, deny Christ. The overarching message behind Titus is this, that we are called to do better, church. We are called to live better out there. And in here, of course. But out there is our mission field. And just as a church in Crete was called to be different so that the culture in Crete could see what is different about these people, the gospel would be appealing to them because people were different. And as we go on in chapter 2 and 3, we're going to talk about how we should act in the workplace, how we should act with each other. Um, we'll touch on all that next week. Um, 
But I want to leave you with this, church. I want to leave you with this homework. Go home and read Titus, the entire book, and you know, focus on chapters 2 and 3 um, as well. But uh, in church, I want to leave you with this. We are called to be different, to be better. Some of you are, are rocking it, and praise God for that. Some of you, maybe just God wanted you to hear this message to give you a little nudge in the right direction, like, hey, time to, time to get our act in order. Um, God is calling godly men and women to be better. Be better out in the world so that our lives can be a living testimony that point back to Jesus. So, that is as far as we'll get today. I, on our notes, it said chapter 2, and we're not even close, but that's all the time that I have for today. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here, and, uh, and we're going to go ahead and, and pray. Oh, is it just the, the worship team? All right. <laughs> Thank you, Shane. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and pray. In the we have a new song here that I want to play. Uh, you can all stand. Um, as we sing, I'm going to close up in prayer real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. close in yeah. prayer, and then you guys can stand. <laughs> you can stand, though, that's okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, stand, yeah. and then you'll pray. <laughs> we, we are very coordinated in this. So. God, 